you want to turn to James chapter 3, we're going to get back into the book of James. And believe it or not, but we're more than halfway done. And uh, James will wrap up here at the end of September, and then we're going to go into a... Uh, I, I was going to do a series, um, just kind of an interesting cultural-driven series, and God has really been stirring my heart to do a series on the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to spend the month of October really diving into the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church and what that looks like. What does it look like to be a Pentecostal church in today's world? What does it look like to be a Pentecostal Christian? Did you know that in the Bible, I could preach this instead of James today if you want, but did you know that in the Bible there is no other kind of church except a Pentecostal church? Did you know that? God called the church to be Pentecostal. I'm not saying all the other folks are bad or, or whatever. I'm just saying when I read the book of Acts, I only see a church that's full of the Holy Spirit and, do, and it's people full of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to be. And we're going to work on that together in the month of October. Pretty excited about that. It's going to be, going to be really, really good. A couple of weeks ago, Eli, if you don't know my oldest son, he's, he's hard to miss. Uh, and he's, he's girthy and large. And which makes him an excellent offensive lineman. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, his team uh, plays for Covenant Christian High School down in Indies, finishing his senior year. But uh, he went off to a camp and at Taylor University and met with three or four other teams, and they scrimmage, you know, do the whole thing. But one of the uh, they always is put on by the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and one of the speakers they had uh, was a guy named I don't know if I'm going to say it right, Carrie Willis. Is that am I saying that right? Carrie Carrie. It's not Kari. See, I don't follow the Colts. Go, Pat, go. But Kari, Kari Willis is a 26-year-old young man drafted from Michigan State by the Colts, uh, just signed, had just signed last year his second uh, NFL contract to make millions and millions and millions of dollars, uh, starting safety cornerback, great player, very, very, very good, and uh, he quit. He, he, he retired from the NFL at the age of 26. He didn't have in injuries, didn't have concussion issues, didn't have any of that. He retired at the age of 26 so that he could plant a church and follow the call of God on his life. Pretty awesome. And he was at this camp telling his story, and it really impacted Eli. And he came home and was, we were talking about it. I'm like, I bet we could get that guy to come to our church. I don't have him in the back or anything. I'm just, uh, it's not like a setup. I'm not setting you up. I'm just saying, because some of you went, oh, you know, that's not it. I'm saying that I can't imagine some of the conversations that, how do you say his name? Kari. Whatever. I, I can't imagine, if you watch this, I'm very sorry that I can't pronounce your name. Uh, I can't imagine some of the conversations that he would have had with his loved ones, his friends, and his family talking about stepping out of a very lucrative, lucrative career to go into a career that's, can I just say, not as lucrative. <laughs> like, what are you thinking? <laughs> Bro, and one of the things Eli observed, he said, you know, to all the kids at that camp, this guy had made it. He, had, he was living the dream that so many of those young men have to play in the NFL and make millions of dollars. I mean, he was, he was living it, but he walked away. How many of you know that's not conventional wisdom? That's not the way that the world would say that guy should have handled his life. In fact, if he was my son, just honestly, I probably would have said, bro, you can play till you're 35 and then go into ministry. How many of you think that, <laughs> like that, that might work? <laughs> what I'm convinced of is 
what Jesus said in Matthew 16. We'll get to James in a minute. Jesus asked his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you have to give up your own way. You have to take up your cross. You have to follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world? What do you benefit if you gain a, a, a Hall of Fame NFL career and millions of dollars in your bank, but you lose your soul? Is anything worth your soul? And the point is this. Conventional wisdom and God's wisdom usually don't live in the same place. God's wisdom is very different than the way that we think about wisdom and the way we think about life. And that's what James is getting into in James, the end of James chapter 3. It's like, I, I thought of another example just to, just to push it, but ju just to give it to you as well. Tithing makes no sense. Giving out of our income and out of, our, uh, out, of, out of what we make and what we have. In fact, there, and, and I'm just a transparent moment, there are times I look at how much Amy and I give away and go, man, we could do a lot of things. But God says, if you, if you don't give, even what you have will be taken from you. But if you give, it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It doesn't make conventional sense. It doesn't make sense, and, and it's one of the reasons people struggle with tithe. What I, and when I, think, when I think to myself, man, I could really use all that tithe money that I send to our church and send to the district office and all the things that I, that I pay for, but then I remember all the great and amazing blessings and the things that God has deposited into my life because I've been faithful. I, I, and Chloe's learning this right now. I'm going to use all my kids today if I can. We're on number three. Probably not Isaac. I'm not going to use Isaac today. But... <laughs> Chloe, Chloe, he was last week. Chloe's, Chloe's learning how to adult, right? And, and she's learning that, uh, you know, when you have to adult, there's like bills and stuff. <laughs> and she's learning all these things. And, you know, so as a typical 18-year-old kid, sometimes you get a little stressed out. And, you know, she's like, I'm poor. I have nothing. And I'm like, listen. And I said, so we had this conversation a couple weeks ago. And I said, Chloe, do you tithe? Yeah, I do. I tithe every time I get paid anything. I always tithe. And she, she's telling the truth. She always has. And I said, then you have every right to call on God and say, God, I've been faithful to you and I've given to you. Now you be faithful back to me. Because that's how it works. Amen. But if you don't tithe, you have no right to call on God. In fact, the Bible says, in the old, this is not a message on tithing, but I'm just explaining wisdom. The, the Bible says that if, you, if you'll tithe, the Bible says you can ask God for anything. You can call on the, open the windows of heaven. Now, I wish one of you would have bought the, the Mega Millions ticket that won a few weeks ago. But, but and I, never mind. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just saying that human conventional wisdom usually does not line up with godly spiritual wisdom. And that's what James is saying. Let's look at James chapter 3, verse 13. If you are wise, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it. Have you noticed a theme in James of prove it? Like, don't tell me you have faith, prove it. Don't tell me you love people, prove it. Here he says, don't tell me that you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it. How? By living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. And here's a couple of things I just want you to see about that verse. We can grow in God's ways and God's wisdom. 
Did you know that when you got saved, it was not automatically deposited into your brain or your spirit the things of God? Yes, that's right, Pastor. You have to grow in the things of God. You have to grow in your knowledge of God. You have to choose to engage the things of the Lord so that you can grow wise in your understanding of God, studying his ways, experiencing his ways, choosing his ways and enjoying his ways. I've learned in my life that you don't really enjoy the ways of God until you choose them instead of feel like they're forced upon you. If you live your life uh, in such a way that you feel like the ways of God are being forced upon you, there's no joy there. How many of you know that? That's called religion. God has not called us to religion, never did. In fact, went to abolish religion, really. He's, he's done such a great thing for us that he wants us to choose to follow his ways. And so I'm just saying that uh, it's not an automatic thing that we have to do that. The Bible says that the beginning of God's wisdom is to fear the Lord. It's to recognize, it's not like, oh, it's not like that. It's to recognize that God is sovereign, that God is God, that we prayed it this morning in, in our passionate core prayer, that he is omniscient, that he's all-powerful, that he's all-wise, that he's all-knowing, that nothing is above him, that no idea that you have is smarter than the ideas God has, right? That's what it means to fear the Lord, that God, I don't ever want to get outside of what you've provided and the pathways and the ways of the Lord. I don't ever want to get outside those things and go my own way. Anybody tried that before? The fear of the Lord. He says that if you're wise and you're growing in God's ways, one proof of that will be an honorable life. You'll live an honorable life, a life worthy of your calling, Paul says in Ephesians, a life the world sees and knows that you've been with God. And I'll say it this way, if the world looks at the way you live your life, or dare I say, looks at the way you post on social media, and they can't tell that you're a Christian and you love Jesus, and I'm not talking about the fake stuff, there's something wrong. Amen, Pastor Jeff. It's quiet in here. Here's how we know, 1 Peter chapter 2. Be careful, Peter writes, to live properly, to live honorably, to live righteously among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you for doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior, your honorable life, and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. Wow. That means like on the day of judgment, they're going to stand before God as an unbeliever getting ready to be condemned. Are you with me? And they're going to say, man, God, you sent Matt Overman to be my neighbor. Sorry, Matt, you're just sitting there. And he lived honorably before me, and he was the example, and I didn't see it. Thank you, God, for giving that. I'm sorry that I didn't catch it. That's what Peter's saying, that on the day God judges it, they're going to recognize it in their lives. One proof is to live an honorable life. Second proof is simply this, the good works that we do. And not just any kind of good works, but listen, good works done with humility. Good works done with you. Everybody with me? I want to make sure you're tracking with me and you're not sleeping yet. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of himself equally with God as something to cling to. Jesus could have said, 
uh-uh, I'm not going to earth to do these things that you're asking me to do. Let's come up with another way. We're kind of like God here. We can do whatever we want. He didn't look at equality with God as something to hold on to and cling to, but he released it is what Paul's saying. He released it so that he could come and be salvation for us. That's powerful. That's called humility. That's called letting go of your prestige or letting go of the way you see yourself. Or dare I say, and this is a good one for Jeff, letting go of your need to have an opinion about everything. And just let it be. And let the Holy Spirit work. That's another, an, another mark of someone who's growing in their walk with God is the good works that they're doing in humility. Then James gets into this discussion. We're going to look at this primarily today between ungodly wisdom and godly wisdom. So I want to start Proverbs 14, 12. We're going to talk about ungodly wisdom first. And there's a contrast here. He said, uh, Proverbs says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but its end leads to death. There's a path that seems right. There's a path that seems conventional, that seems like it will work. Human wisdom is foolishness with God. And the path of human wisdom, only engaging in our own knowledge and what we understand as humans, leads ultimately to death. Why? Because human wisdom will tell you there is no God but you. There is no truth but your truth. There is no way to live except how you want to live. And anybody who tells you that that's not the right way to live, they are against you. And now we call them all kinds of names. But that's not what James is saying, He's, or what Proverbs is saying. He said sometimes those ways, because they're wrapped in human wisdom, give way to death. Human wisdom will always be finite and will always be flawed. Why? Because humans are flawed. And because we don't see the end from the beginning, we can't. Only God sees the end from the beginning. So I think that James tells us here some cause and effect. So we're going to look at that, verse 14. There's some cause and effect in ungodly wisdom. If we embrace ungodly wisdom and we use ungodly wisdom, there's an effect on our life and on the life of others. And here's what he's saying. So verse 14, we're back at James 3, 14. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth by boasting and lying, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. I mean, that makes sense, right? Such things are earthly, unspiritual. And look at the last word, yeah. demonic. Yes, demons are real. I don't care what Hollywood tells you or other people tell you. Hollywood knows good and well demons are real. Have you ever watched a movie that maybe had... Yeah, anyway. So here's what he's saying. A bitter... What causes uh, ungodly wisdom or us to embrace it? Well, number one, a bitter and selfish heart. A heart that is bitter and selfish. This is the essence of our heart apart from God. I'm going to get mine. I'm going to take care of me first. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to play in the NFL until I'm done playing, and then maybe I'll talk to God about what he wants me to do. I mean, that's, that's human wisdom. It comes from a bitter and selfish heart, and it's not godly wisdom. It also comes uh, from a prideful and deceitful heart. Here's what C.S. Lewis Said, the, the great Christian author said about pride, according to Christian teachers, the, es, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. 
Unchastity or purity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Whew. A prideful heart embraces human wisdom. Also have a compromised heart. Bitter and selfish, prideful and deceitful, and then a compromised heart. Eventually, someone employing God, ungodly wisdom will abandon all pretenses and give in to the leading of the enemy. Can I just say this? It doesn't happen in a moment. When somebody walks away from the wisdom of God and embraces the wisdom of demons, it's subtle and it's over time. It's like throwing the, the frog into the bath water and then bringing it to a boil. A little bit over time, a little compromise here, a little uh, choosing uh, deceit here or choosing pride here or whatever, and little by little by little, the wisdom of demons and earthly and unspiritual things begin to take root in us, and now we become somebody who's not at all following the way of truth. And it happens subtly. Leads to a unspiritual heart when our heart is compromised we abandon true spirituality, true worship, and true kingdom pursuits. And here's what we do. We become critical of those who do worship God in truth. We don't check out of the church. We don't check out of spirituality. We're not quite there yet. What we do is we become critical of people who really love God and want to serve God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. We, we learn how to bash them and how to say things about them that are unfounded or untrue or ungodly. And you know, why do we do that? Because we know in our soul we're not living the right way, and so we're going to just condemn the people that are as foolish. I had a, my, college, my, my Bible college president would always say this. He would say, while you're here, you'll either learn to pray and worship or you'll learn how to be critical of those who do. And that's, that's true. As you get into an, a, a, an earthly wisdom, an unspiritual heart, that's what happened. And ultimately, listen, do you see, do you see the progression? I'm warning you this morning of, uh, of ungodly wisdom because if you start with a compromising heart and then you move to an unspiritual heart, you eventually lead to a demonically influenced heart. Our ambition becomes demonic, influenced by darkness and leading others away from the light. That's demonic wisdom. What's the effect? That's the cause. What's the effect? James verse, verse 16. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. So there's, there's two results of ungodly wisdom that becomes demonic. Uh, disorder. And have you ever seen somebody who completely had given their life away, they walked away from God, and now their life is full of chaos? Same thing happens in a church. If a church chooses to walk away from ungodly wisdom and enough people begin to follow wickedness and follow demonic influences, guess what happens? Disorder of every kind. And the second thing that happens is evil, wickedness, sin, brokenness, 
generational destruction. Did you hear me? Flappy lips. I thought flappy lips, so I wrote it down. (laughs) Gossip. And lots and lots of pain. And I have to tell you, in my job at our district office, I keep leading, I keep talking about it because I've seen it. I sat in board meetings with men and women who had given themselves over to ungodly and demonic influence on the board of churches, leading that church to disorder and death. Thank God that's not the case here. But it can be if we don't guard it. You with me? Ungodly wisdom promises accomplishment to the human heart. And truthfully, I I would be lying to you if I said, if you embrace ungodly wisdom, you might be able to get that in this life. You might be able to make a lot of money and build great things and do these things to be important in this life, but what it can ever deliver is godliness, righteousness, peace, and eternity with Jesus. Ungodly wisdom ultimately compromises our hearts and we stop guarding our hearts and we stop being proactive against the enemy and wickedness sets into our hearts so we become bitter and angry and hard to deal with and a pain in the rear. Can I say that? I just did. That's why Proverbs says this, guard your heart. Above everything else, guard your heart. Guys, it's a heart thing. Wisdom is about your heart. And so, so Proverbs says, guard your heart. Above everything else, guard your heart because it's the, where life comes from. It's the wellspring of life. We talked about it last week. If your heart is evil, it's what will come out of your mouth. But if your heart is good and righteous, that's the kind of life that you will live. Ungodly wisdom only leads to death. But there's an alternative. Embracing godly wisdom, James calls it wisdom from above, indicating that it's from God, it's heavenly, it's spiritual he says in verse 17, but the wisdom from above, and, the, and it's in contrast, the word but, he's like, all these things are happening and the evil wisdom, but if you'll grab the heavenly wisdom, the wisdom from above, everything is different. It's first of all pure. It is also peace-loving. It is gentle at all times, not just when you feel like being gentle. It's willing, get this one, this is so hard, man, James is so hard. It's willing to yield to others. This is like totally anti-American, <laughs> right? It's totally opposite of the way we're taught to live as Americans. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. So let's just run through the litany. How, what are the causes of godly wisdom? Well, a pure heart. It's, and that word means free from defilement. That your heart is pure, meaning it's free from defilement. And I I thought about it like this, influence of darkness without agenda, without this, uh, this need, you know, to be in a place of influence, this need. That's how you know somebody's really spiritual, right? They don't need to be in a place of leadership. They don't need to be in, they don't find their value in being a board member. Our board members know this is not something to achieve. This is work. I used to think uh, in, my, in my head, you know, because I'm not smart, I used to think 
working at the district office like somehow was a thing, man, like you had arrived, like some, man, woo, that is something. I got the job there, I went to work there and realized this ain't nothing. This is garbage. I spend most of my life trying to dig people out of holes. It was better pastoring a church, at least that I'm digging Christians out that I can walk with. Most pastors didn't want to be dug out of their hole. So godly wisdom is something that changes our life as we engage it in that purity of heart. It begins there and it gets rid of, there's no influence of darkness. There's no agenda that you have. There's no hope that you have to arrive at something that you've decided through human wisdom is important. It's a heart which strives for peace and love and gentleness. These are all fruits of the Spirit. So it's, you know, if you have God, if you're employing godly wisdom, your number one goal, your, your plan, what you're striving for is not influence and importance. It is to live more and more day by day in the fruit of the Spirit. That's godly wisdom. Amen? Okay, you guys still with me? Okay, don't go to sleep yet. The heart which strives. A, it's a humble heart, a, willing, uh, a willingness to yield to others. Whoo, that's hard. Willingness to yield to others, preferring others over yourself. John Newton said this, I am persuaded that love and humility are the highest attainments in the school of Christ and the brightest evidence that he is indeed your master. If you can be humble and love. I think a lot of us are good at the love part but not the humble part or are really good at the humble part and not the love part. And James is like, guys, we've got to let our hearts have both of those things. We've got to let the fruit of the Spirit grow. Then he says a merciful heart. As we have received mercy, so we must show mercy. And then he says a productive heart. God's wisdom makes, full, makes life full, not empty. Right? It makes life full. You should be busy about the Father's business. We should not be living in, uh, in leisure and, in, and check, you know, checking out, if you will. I'm not saying we don't need rest. We need rest, but that's not what I mean. I'm just saying we shouldn't just check out and say, well, that's for somebody else to take care of. No, we should, our life should be full uh, and not empty and full of joy because godly wisdom, we choose to do the work of the kingdom of God. And I thought three things about the work of the kingdom. It fits our gifts. So one of the major causes of burnout and getting tired is trying to serve in a place that doesn't fit your gifts. And you just hate it. I mean, it's like work for you. But when you, when you engage a ministry or something in the kingdom of God that fits who you are and how God has formed you and the gifts that he's put into your life, can I just say that's when ministry becomes a joy and not a burden. And the challenge is, okay, let me figure out who I am. Let me figure out how God's made me and let me do the things that lend themselves, lend, lend my gifts to those things, whatever they are. You know what that means? You're going to have to say no to some things. You're going to have to build some margin in your life. You're going to have to build your life around an ability to give yourself away as the Lord leads you. So it fits your gifts. It does the most good and it builds the kingdom of God. If you find yourself busy in those three things, the gifts of God he's put in your life, whatever's doing the most good in the world and, and then it's building the kingdom. If you can do those three things, you can have a happy, happy life. And it should be a happy, happy life. You should laugh at happy, happy because that's, that's like the Robertsons, right? Never mind. Never mind. It says a heart without favoritism. We preached a whole sermon on favoritism, so I won't go into that. And a heart which can be trusted. The last thing he says, a heart that can be trusted. Always sincere means your heart can be trusted. What's the effect 
if we choose godly wisdom and we, we train our heart that way, we choose it. Verse 18, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. It's a sowing and reaping thing. If you want to reap righteousness, if you want to reap the fruit of the Spirit, friend, you've got to sow to the fruit of the Spirit. You've got to plant seeds of righteousness, plant seeds of peace, plant seeds of love, plant seeds of building others up. If you want to receive that, you've got to plant it first. It doesn't work if you don't plant it. Hebrews 12, 11 says this, no discipline, because it's a, it's a discipline, right? To do that, to sow and reap, the discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It kind of seems, I mean, this is what he, he said, but they took it out. It seems like work. They didn't really take that out. I made that up. You guys should laugh more. That would help me. A couple of weeks ago, man, we were rolling, but... He says, no discipline seems pleasant, but painful. It gets hard work, isn't it? It's hard work learning and understanding the ways of God. It's hard work sometimes engaging the wisdom that comes from above. It's a lot easier to give in to conventional wisdom. It's painful, but later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those that have been trained by it. Only when you yield can the attributes that we just talked about in your heart take root in your lives so that you can produce the kind of fruit that we all desire. Employing godly wisdom over ungodly wisdom requires you to be disciplined and self-controlled. I think I'm kind of tired of the church not demanding Christians live with self-control. If you really want to grow up in Christ, you're going to choose self-control. That's really... I mean, like, that's half the book of James, right? Like, watch your mouth. You want to be perfect? Self-control your mouth. That's what he said. Or your tongue. We sang about it last week. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. We should have said, oh, be careful, little hands, what you type. It's really an issue of our heart, isn't it? Will we spurn human, earthly, ungodly, demonic wisdom? What seems right? What culture tells us is right? What our upbringing or our ways of thinking in the natural realm have told us we should believe about certain things? The narrative society expects us to follow? Will we spurn all that and push that away in order to embrace wisdom from above? Wisdom that is godly, wisdom that is likely contrary to what seems natural in human life. Isaiah wrote down the words of a prophecy in chapter 55 when the Lord spoke this. He said, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. Like he told us they're not going to make sense to us. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. What's in your heart then today? What do you truly desire? Do you have some misguided idea to make a name for yourself in this life? 
or to walk after the wisdom of the world, to hold on to as much as you can so that at the end of days your life is, is boiled down to nothing more than an estate sale? Or would you rather have your name written in the book of life? Would you rather have your life mean something in the kingdom of God? Would you rather be spoken of like at the end of Hebrews 11, the great champions of faith, when it said that the world was not worthy of them? Friend, if that's what you want, you're going to have to embrace godly wisdom and spurn away what our culture and our society and the world tells you is important. Because godly wisdom said there's only one thing, and his name is Jesus. And making him known and championing his kingdom is really the only thing we'll take with us to eternity. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your power. God, I actually thank you that what you tell us to do doesn't often make sense to us. And that's how we know, God, that it's you and not us. I thank you that you love us enough to put passages like this in your word so that we are forced to confront what's really in our heart as it relates to wisdom and how we're living. We can't just let it slide anymore. We can't just bow to what our culture wants or what our ideologies are or what our thought processes are or what we think about things. God, we've got to yield ourselves in self-control to you and to the wisdom that's from above. The risk of choosing to not do that is far too great. So this morning, God, I pray that we would choose your wisdom. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. I want to ask you to examine your heart. What's in your heart? Are you trying to go your own way? Are you trying to figure it out yourself? Are you trying to, you know, get what you can and, and follow through with the earthly things, the earthly wisdom, all the things that our world would tell us is important? Or is your heart full of a desire to follow his wisdom and not your own? Is your heart full of a desire to yield in self-control to what God has for you rather than what you think you can create on your own? Would you examine yourself today with me? Will you examine who you are? Is it honorable? Is your life honorable? Is it humble? Is it full of good deeds and humility? I would say for many of you it is. But maybe as you look inside your soul, maybe you find some things that are a little incongruent with what we've shared today. Maybe there's a little bit of ambition in your heart to be somebody in the church or to be somebody in the world. I just want you to know, God just wants to put that under the blood. He just wants that, that ambition and desire to bow at the cross. So that if you're promoted, if you receive influence and leadership, it's because God put you there, not because you put you there. I can tell you, if you put you there, you don't want it. It will turn into a curse, not a blessing. 
But if God opens a door, if God puts you there because you've chosen humility, you've chosen godly wisdom, you've chosen to have your heart right with him, it'll be a blessing. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, can you respond this morning to the Lord? If you'd say, Pastor, you know what, I, I've got some of that in me, you know, whatever it is, and I just, I want to rid myself. I just, I want to, to make sure my heart is full of the things of God. I want to pursue the things of God. I want to pursue godly wisdom. I don't want these things to get in the way. If that's you, nobody looking around, if that's you, just slip your hand up. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over the room. Anybody else? I'm just going to wait a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Lord will help us with this if we just ask him. Would you stand with me all over the room? Here's what I want to do this morning, just as the worship team leads us. Would you, I just want to open the altars. And if you need to come and find a place to pray, you need to do some business with God. If it's about this, if it's about something else, that's fine. Whatever it is you want to do with God. But especially if you're wrestling with some things in your own heart as it relates to what we talked about this morning, I want you to come. Would you come right now and find a place? Just anybody who needs to come and find a place to be with God and to talk to the Lord. He can help you. I cannot help you. I cannot change your heart. Only God can do that. So you can stay in your seat and walk out the same way that you walked in, or you can give God a chance just by simply slipping out of your chair and coming to the front. You can give God a chance to do a miraculous transformation in your heart. So Holy Spirit, draw all that would come in Jesus' name. Let's sing this worship song together. I don't know what you're going to sing, but whatever it is, let's sing it. And if you'd like to come, I want you to come and make a place. Make an altar right here in the front that you could speak to the Lord. Would you do that right now?